Welcome back to Escaping Gilead. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're here to talk about the seventh episode of the fourth season of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. This one is called Home. Mm, we pick up right at the dock, right where we left June exhaling. Tuello and Rachel are there for them to do like the proper diplomatic efforts that have to be made in order for her to seek asylum as a refugee and them to officially take her in under the authorization of the United States government and the Canadian government. Did you expect to have this very formal scene starting us off? I kind of didn't. And so the rest of how it played out where she's kind of given the star treatment in the nice Toronto penthouse hotel room, I guess it, it it's supposed to tell us that they consider her very important as yes. opposed to just some random refugee that, that snuck in. Well, remember Rita. Remember we were saying, why are they being like this with Rita? Why are they being so pushy with her when every other person had like this shock blanket treatment and this everything? And Rita didn't get that so much. They, we didn't see that comforting and that loving on Rita in the same way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then to see this, it was like, wow, yeah, this is this is alarmingly more upscale. <laughs> did the playing of the jazz at last, did that kind of undermine the seriousness of it by having kind of a pop song in there like that? Or it's it supported the scene with that that idea that we're finally in a safe place. I think that it actually is consistent with the other choices that they've made for music in terms of, uh, you know, heaven is a place on earth and, and all the different, you know, if, if you're throwing a little Belinda Carlisle in there and stuff like they're they've played a lot of songs along the way that kind of seem quote unquote out of place to the seriousness. And also that seem like too poppy, like you said, but I mean, at last is not a pop song. I mean, it's definitely a classic, um, well, it was so, pop when it came out, right? Yes, I guess. Um, I suppose you're right. It doesn't undermine it. It, it, it's, it fits with the same kind of tongue-in-cheek approach that they've had to music the whole time. I think it does. And so, I mean, yes, they could have just played, like, you know, the the strings, like they do a lot on, on Hammond's words, like, mm, oh, no, you know, almost. But it's not. And that's the thing. Like, it's not. Like, we're back to where you could listen to regular music and stuff. So um, that didn't exactly throw me. It's a song that has a lot of meaning behind it. it it's the song that obama danced with michelle at, at the inauguration ball and so for a lot of people there's like a a hopefulness that comes with that like a swell in their chest of memories and stuff so i think it was actually kind of manipulative in that way in that they didn't just choose any celebratory song they chose a song that people use at their weddings a lot that uh, have a lot of meaning for a lot of people that would kind of swell in your chest a little bit. Do you suppose that we're just supposed to accept the idea that somewhere in the cutting room floor, June got the CAT scan that she probably had coming <laughs> because... I think we can chalk up a lot of her behavior this episode into a PTSD sort of category. Oh, for sure. But even even right away, she's taken right to this hotel and the music is playing so loud that you can't hear Tuello explaining a lot of very important things. Even the audience would probably be more interested in what he's saying than, than the music. But I think that's indicative of June tuning him out mm -hmm. thanks to just all the sensory input that she's getting and can't really cope with right now. She still kind of had a head injury that that probably needed to be looked at. It told us a lot when we actually get to the interview portion and Tuello is wanting to really like go through all the series of events and Luke is very eager to give her a chance to take a break. 
he gives a rationale that it's really important before she does anything else that we basically have this debriefing session and get as much information as we can before it gets forgotten or before, you know, any outside information kind of taints it. That's the whole thing. Because I agree. If you go back to Emily, the first steps are supposed to be really kind medical care and you go get your glasses and you get your hair cut and you do all this, you know, those things happen first, you know, but that can't happen with June. She's too important of a witness when it comes to the Waterfords. Before we get to that scene, we have a couple of interesting things here. Do you suppose that red was the only option she had for for robes? I can honestly tell you, I've been in some nice hotels and I've never seen any color other than white. So when she came out in that red robe, I was like, I think this is a step too far, wardrobe. (laughs) Like, I get what you're trying to do here. On the nose much? Yeah. Maybe in a presidential suite, they do have silk burgundy robes. Maybe that's a thing. I think they wanted us to watch her transition again there's still that clinging on to that time and so this time it's like all right she's still wearing the red dress but it's shorter it's luxurious material but she's still in that mindset in a lot of ways having not lived through anything close to what she's living through her ability to adapt to her new setting is slow in coming and i think that's probably appropriate and luke is doing his best to understand but she's not talking much right and so you know he's just like ordering dinner and and kind of a little cash about it right I think he's trying to keep it light. Yeah. Watching him fuss over the table let me know that he wasn't being casual and everything. He actually cared very much about doing just the right thing. How he's like, maybe she'd like to sit in this chair. No, maybe she would sit in that chair. And he switched like the entree plates and and he was fussing over the flowers and almost Mm -hmm. knocking over stuff. It it was very sweet. It, It showed me that he cared very much about doing the right thing here and how to handle it. None of us can appreciate and it might take even... A couple more episodes for it to really sink in the push and pull of Luke and June right now. For my own self, I would have assumed that I would want Luke to come in the bedroom. And I mean, it doesn't I don't mean anything sexual, but but just like stay with me, you know, that kind of thing. But she had a lot of individual needs where she I mean, she locked the bathroom door, that kind of stuff. I mean, she has a lot of safety, security things that she is going to be grappling with, I think, which I was kind of surprised again, how that kind of ebbed and flowed throughout this episode. Sometimes she seemed kind of like too alone in places she was and then other times it seemed like that tracks that she would be kind of more wanting to be with the group wanting to be with her friends wanting more people around her who knew her and then other times when she was like locking herself alone you know very separated so what we didn't see is what i think for my own self i i would have wanted that security blanket of luke being with me uh, how would you have played it out? I mean, you're um, you're definitely a more introverted person. Would you have wanted that that time? Yes, I think so. Like that observational, like recalibrating, and that wouldn't necessarily require a lot of other people immediately reacclimating. Maybe even just watching TV or something that would be like this is. I've been so disconnected from everything, and I just want to ease into. 
things again. But she has her process and her process included uh, sleeping for 17 hours, which I cannot fault her. <laughs> I cannot imagine how how hard I would have slept. I mean, you know me, I can sleep 17 hours current. So I might have been good for like 24, 36 hours like of just sleeping. Right. When he was like teasing her the next day, but I don't think you've ever slept that much. No, I don't think that much. Like, And I'm sitting there like with my eyes open, like, is there something abnormal about <laughs> <laughs> Like, I could definitely do that. <laughs> like, yeah, again, you know, for listeners who don't know, we have three special needs kids. And there was a couple of times when we got a chance to go away at a hotel. There's definitely PTSD with NICU and stuff like that. And during those times, we would absolutely like sleep like the dead. Like there was no... Right. What's the agenda of a local events? I don't even care what's outside the hotel. Right. <laughs> I just want this big, comfortable bed and I just want to sleep and sleep. I appreciated the recharge. And I think that it's skillful of the writers to be thoughtful of all the different things that's going on with June. We also, I think, need to remember, and they did a good job in the shower of showing all the, the wounds rather fresh. You know, I mean, she still had, um, you know, cattle prod marks and what I swear to God still looks like a bite mark every I mean, time she's I see it. She's recently beaten. And very recently. And and the, the fact that her body showed so many, you know, like wounds in various stages of healing, again, was a good reminder of just the various levels of things that she has dealt with, you know, over time, how much her body's changed. So the next morning, it's like Luke has a weight on him and he continues the conversation that that was started before they even hugged on the boat. Mm -hmm. The idea of who's responsible for getting Hannah out of Gilead and he takes it back from her and, and, and apologizes back to her. I didn't exactly expect that or see that coming, but I've had an interesting TV relationship with Luke where I keep wanting more out of the guy. I'm not sure what it is exactly that I need him to be doing, but there are moments when I, when I feel like, oh, I, I would have hoped that he turned right instead of left. And, and I hold that against him for some reason, but overall, I think I like the guy and this moment made me like him probably more, even though I don't know what else he could be doing. An interesting part of just the way that they filmed the show and the way that they decided to service different characters. At the beginning, we stuck around with Luke a little bit more in terms of the fact that he was trying to go to, you know, the Canadian record keepers and trying to keep up with movement of people and who was there and information he could give. And, you know, everything was still kind of fresh and they stopped servicing his character. They stopped writing any storylines for him in terms of us checking back in with him in a lot of ways. Up until Nicole came back in on the scene, we really didn't get much from him. So we are being told that he did a lot to look for Hannah and look for June. But the reality is we only saw a little bit and that was three seasons ago. And so it's hard, I think, for the audience to hang on to our respect and our, you know, love for him when the writers didn't allow him to be sort of like an upstanding father and husband by giving him something to do to show us he was doing something. What do you think of June doing what she did with Janine, where she sees a heartbroken person in front of her who she can either tell the truth to and crush their heart? Or make up a story that may never be verified, preserve that person's feelings and hope when she spins a tale about about having these conversations with Hannah and, and that stuff. It's a version of the truth, but she painted it like Hannah was like, super mom, I can't wait to see you again when we know how it was actually going down in Canada. 
or sorry, in Gilead. My fear is that it's going to come back to bite her and really hurt this relationship because I think that part of the case against the Waterfords and Gilead is going to be the cruel treatment of June, which I think if they list off the torture, one of those things would be having Hannah in a glass box and Hannah not recognizing her and the cruelty and the torture of all that in the crimes against humanity sort of portion of it all. I'm worried. It's exactly like the Janine thing. I'm really worried that this is going to come back to mess up a relationship. I understood in the moment that she felt like she needed to say something to him. I don't know that it was so important to tell such a specific lie. It could have been okay to say, I've seen her and I've heard through, you know, the other Marthas and handmaids that she's healthy. She's going to school. She's loved. I know in my heart that she knows we love her and maybe just kind of leave it at that. But to make up this lake house story and dialogue that they had, it really felt like that is going to be a betrayal that she is going to have to answer to. Good writing would make her answer to that. So she's on notice for a couple of big lies. I think so. I'm putting Mrs. Keys in that category too. I think what she did to her and making her be a part of that murder, I think there's some steps that she took in relationships that could get twisted on her. How would you feel if in the courtroom they have a scenario and I'm just I'm just even surmising there's going to be something like that. I don't know. We have to go so fast here. I don't know how the information will come out, but don't you think at some point there might be some evidence that they did have Hannah in a box that Luke is going to find that out? It would have to be June that says it because the Waterfords were already in custody by that point. But you know who knows the information about both of these? Aunt Lydia. Mm-hmm. She's the one that knows about both these lies. Just for me, it feels like a dangling shoe off the toe of, of, this, of a relationship that's already fragile. And I'm just nervous. I don't know why she felt the need to be so specific. I mean, he didn't go into like a spun tale of all the things he did. And I hiked in the woods and I tried to get there via helicopter. And but like he didn't make up a bunch of crap to tell her to make her quote unquote feel better. I don't know that it was necessary to do that. And his, I, his feelings I think would have been problem. His, his feelings would have been preserved with nothing. Actually, he already knows Hannah's in a bad spot. June was in a bad spot. So if she came back and said, I tried, I don't know where she is. That would have been like, well, that's kind of what I expected. Yeah, and or just truly tell the truth that she she was with a family who loved her and she was happy and healthy in her world and she had a Martha who loves her and she goes to school and she has little friends. Those are all things that she could absolutely pass a, a polygraph test on. You know, she saw her. Yeah, I just, oh, my heart hurt when she started doing that because I thought, oh no, like June as a person is... She's getting more twisted. I, I I felt a punch in the gut with the Mrs. Keys part. And I this was another punch in the gut where I was like, you can't start acting like this, you know, because you're losing your humanity a little bit. You're starting to go down a weird path. This is what I'm telling you about becoming the abuser. You're the one now telling the lies. You're the one making someone commit murder. You're the one in this next scene. We're going to start talking about it near to the end, putting your hands over someone's mouth. Like, I'm worried about you. I have this belief as a viewer who who rarely makes predictions that she is not long for Canada. You know what I mean? Mm. She's just a hair trigger to go back and try to figure out how to get Hannah. For instance, in these upcoming scenes where we see 
Luke and Moira. They're basically a well-oiled machine, even though behind the scenes, we know that Moira doesn't dig mommy life, but it turns out she's actually pretty good at it. Yeah. And not only that, but they're also a well-oiled machine together. Like Moira is not just a good mom. She's a good partner to Luke. Mm-hmm. And Luke's a good partner to her. And you can tell how much that June sits back and observes all of that, observes the dynamic. You're right that one of the motivations to not sticking around could very well be, I, I'm not needed here. I don't have a place here. I don't see where I fit in to this daily life. Even when you go, like, let's move into the grocery store. I, mm-hmm. I was I was telling you offline before we started talking, I appreciated that they brought June to a place back to that observant phase, back to that. I need to start observing life again. I need to start understanding what's going on in the world and kind of, you know, acclimating. And that's what how she should have acted with Stephen and the BJs. But cool that she didn't because I guess it worked out. This observant phase where she's paying a lot of attention when they're in the chip aisle, Luke's going to go one way to go get some stuff and Moira's going to go change the baby in another direction. And she's just left standing there. There is a definite feeling of I don't have a job here. I don't have a role here. I don't actually really know what I should be doing. Combine that with the night before when she's holding Nicole and Mm. rocking her and she refers to me and your first daddy. Oh, Uh, my God. Paul, I implies that she's first mommy. I fell out when she said that. I was like, oh, my God, you're going to actually like introduce the concept of Nick with this baby that never occurred. It never occurred to me. It never crossed my brain that like, oh, my God, she's going to get weird. She is going to get weird uh, about this. And you know what? That is the one shred of hope that Nick actually has of the glowing heart business, because if she starts feeling like she doesn't have a place with these people, oh, but she's got first daddy over there who's still interested in her and she has a role to play over there. I don't know. I do I do see some storyline possibility there, which is frightening. I'm like, oh. <laughs> well, in that first daddy business, it implicitly removes her from the equation of being one of Nicole's parents. And you're kind of getting this, or at least I'm kind of getting, getting this idea where she could rationalize that as first mommy, seeing how Nicole, uh, seeing how Moira and Luke function together, she could write herself out of the equation and be like, well, she's well taken care of, which is supporting my idea that she's going to, she's going to rabbit, as they say. I don't know under what circumstances, whether she's alone or with some government sanctioned strike force, or I don't know what, but I could, I could see where she would be like, I see. I I put Nicole in the right spot. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. It's that she is Nicole is taken care of next, you know, because Moira got her to get on the boat by being like, you have to go back for Nicole. You have another baby, another child to worry about, and moments like. Luke tossing Moira the diaper were like a choreographed, you know, Broadway show. Let's get back to that grocery store scene because we have her take the chip bag down and see Alma's face. We really start feeling that PTSD of this episode and and really how overwhelming simple things like being in the grocery store really is going to be for her. Did you feel like uh, they had laid enough groundwork with Rita and the little boy about the transition and how difficult it would be? Sure. And they built up slowly in this scene the idea that she is not adapting overnight. You know, I, I think she may be okay in terms of figuring out there's there, here's here, that kind of stuff. But 
they were giving us all of the cinematic cues that you've seen elsewhere for strong PTSD, acute, I guess would be the, the right word, acute PTSD and acting on her right then. For a lot of people who don't know why she was staring at the water display so much, what did you get out of that? The logo itself reminded me of the wings that appear on the Gilead like crest, you know, like if you recall, like the the patch that was on the soldier's shoulders mm-hmm. had those two wings spread out like that. It reminded me of that. And she had that flashback to the, the statue. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. Those little girls who are kind of horsing around in the store, you know, wearing outfits that look so similar to handmaids. And it was a lot. I mean, I think they did a good job of layering on all the small things that she would notice that they wouldn't notice. Again, weird to me that they left her alone, weird that she wanted or that she accepted being left alone. I feel strange that Moira has such a good sense from being a part of the relief effort and being a part of the center where they're taking in people and and helping the children. What a good idea she had with Rita. I'm a little surprised that she isn't looking for cues and or more aware of the uh, the distinct like possibility and eventuality that June's going to have these moments because I mean she just like left you know like everyone just left June standing in the chip aisle like I feel like Moira would be like you take the baby June you come with me let's stick together kind of thing you know because I mean Moira's been through this and she's had training that's a good point it feels oddly dismissive of all of the things they've told us in that regard maybe Luke doesn't know but Moira knows she believed her I guess when she said I I want culture shock she should have known better like you're saying she just had too much training she just dealt with the with the little boy and was did such a good job with Rita and understanding acclimating you know it just was like wait wait, wait. we just saw that you know yeah. later that night when we get the gilead crew reunited at luke's house and the women are talking and it was an ant free zone according to moira i know that i'm skipping ahead a little bit but the best part of that whole discussion was when they boiled down Serena to she looked like shit when Rita went to see her. Well, I that's think it was hilarious. I, I loved it too, and I think it was, it was supportive because that's what you're supposed to say in those kinds of. Oh things. yeah, because it's like a, you're so much prettier than she is, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like yeah, you're right. I thought that that was super funny and and just like dead on. And I appreciated that June seems to be trying to cope by being surrounded by more familiar things and more familiar people. And I'm kind of I'm really hoping that some of these other characters. Rita seems ripe for this will recognize the the difficulty that June is having and will address it a little bit not just in passing but you know more specifically Rita might not be there yet in terms of being able to help someone else because she's still not there yet herself in terms of recovered i don't think any of them really are She's only been there two weeks right something like that yeah it's not been long but i mean i don't think any of them are there i just thought they'd be more aware well for instance emily has not moved back in with her partner yet yeah that was disheartening to learn it's been a long time for emily and she did have such a difficult time remember her going back to oliver remember that that night trying to read him a story in bed and how that was really really hard her reentry was very difficult again she doesn't remember that she isn't like and maybe i'm just jumping ahead maybe that's episode eight nine ten or something like that where one of them can be like have you had an easy time like picking nicole up again and being here because i know with oliver it was sure difficult for me you know 
know, like you'd think there'd be kind of some of that. And maybe it's to come, you know, because we covered a lot more going on with June and Tuello and the Waterfords. You know, we had this part with with kind of the homecoming, but and and kind of have to stick a pin in that and say like, OK, well, I, there's got to be more going on with that. But June has an overwhelming need to get to Tuello and and unburden herself of some of these nightmares that are floating around in her head. I know you really carefully studied that board in Tuello's office. Did you pick up any hot information? Interesting tidbits, nothing that's going to change the course of the show. I was interested to learn that uh, Fred was listed as a founder of the Sons of Jacob. We had seen that he had been a basically Serena's aide, maybe PR manager or something, but not the idea man behind the throne. There was no behind every great woman, there's a great man in that scenario. (laughs) You know what I mean? She was the deal. She was the goods in that situation. And then he used that to kind of leapfrog his way into notoriety within that group. I had no idea it it was a founder. So I found that found that interesting. Do you recall anything else that I read out? Um, I think that the three people being Fred, Serena, and then Nick being on the board was kind of a surprise. He would have been, you know, part of the accused. And when it comes to Serena made Nick do this, but to have him be of equal status on that board with Fred and Serena was like, oh, okay. Tuello has his eye on this guy in a much bigger way, as big as he does on Fred, Mm. which was like, oh, really? Okay. All right. That was kind of a surprise to me. If I'm Tuello and I see that there's this guy that figures into this case, but then meanwhile, I know that he's getting promoted and giving given more responsibility back at home. I'm wondering. Yeah, what is up? <laughs> yeah. How forced was forced in this situation? No you know? idea. You mentioned unburdening. But before we get to the interview in Tuello's office, let's talk about the several layers that are involved there. The cuff that's still on her ear that is inhibiting her intimacy with Luke. There's there's also Serena. Now that she knows Serena's pregnant and there mm-hmm. within close proximity mm-hmm. and how she needs how she feels like she needs to deal with that. Yes. And then there's also this further idea that she can besides just the hatred that she has for this one person, there's also just the the undoing that she can do to Gilead through the diplomatic channels like Tuello on a broader scale, you know? Yes. So let's get back to the interview after weaving our way through those things. So the cuff. Luke takes responsibility for touching the cuff, but is that even fair? No, he didn't take responsibility. Well, he, he was kind of like, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, so, yeah, okay, because he like triggered her. But I don't, I don't, I think you're reading that wrong. If you want to have like a blanket conversation about their intimacy level, I mean, I think I would go back to the previous episode where it's hard even for them to hug. She sleeps alone in the bed and he sleeps on the couch. They're kind of trying to be closer to each other. They kind of hug a little bit more. They try to kind of kiss and stuff and brushing against that thing in her ear. I mean, I think he's saying, sorry, 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 because I mean, I, he doesn't know if it hurts to move it or hit it or whatever, you know, maybe it does. I don't know. If you pulled on an earring, it would hurt. I think that we're watching that progression and certainly as it ends up is um, concerning to me. I've seen a lot of people online think that the cuff thing is some sort of tracker, GPS, something like that. And I'm going to say, I don't think so. I think it's simple branding like cattle and that's it I'm actually or a bird really surprised she didn't take it out again i mean she took it out herself the first time and i really thought when we were over with like steven and the bjs because it's such an obvious thing to have i would have thought even steven would have been like we we need to take that thing out of your ear because when we're out in a group we don't want to be known as people who are 
harboring. Well, yeah, harboring a handmaid, right. right? So we're gonna need to, we're gonna you know we'll just, we have pliers and or yeah, I think you could get it out with. I mean, she like ripped it out of her ear. It was very dramatic, but I would think that they could do it a little a little more cleanly, even. You know, like I said, like when they when she came across and after she was, you know, in the hotel room and stuff like that, like she showered and all that. I know they're going through this whole you've got to download all your information and get all your memories out. And so we're not going to really like take care of your body or anything right now. But I still think I'm with you, like not knowing if it was a tracking device, you'd think that Tuello and or, you know, anybody who could see that because she had her hair in a ponytail would be like, we should remove that and inspect <laughs> it and see what it is. Yeah. I mean, what if it's some weird, something that could be detonated? Nobody, I mean, you don't know if you're, if you're Tuello, you don't, don't know. know. It's very small you know? and they're really working just with today's technology, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I thought that scene is just a, you know, a step on the ladder of trying to get somewhere with them. So given the sequence, though, okay, she's only willing to have this certain level of intimacy. And you're right. The, the cuff thing was awkward, but it probably wasn't what Luke thought it was and what I thought it was. It was the next scene is that she needs to go put Serena into her place in one of the, I don't know, I've never seen such a satisfying screaming at scene. Well, why, why did it satisfy you? What did you really appreciate about it? That it was raw and, and emotional and, and not a very actory way, in a way where if someone was losing their shit for real, that's what it would look like. I want to make amends. I'm, I hate you. And then it just kind of spilled out from there. Mm-hmm. Like, like it wasn't even poetic or anything. It was just, I hate you. <laughs> she wasn't hiding behind any, any fancy language. I don't know. I read it as just very honest and believable. You know, at the very start, I had an issue with Tuello leaving them alone in this room with nobody in any way restrained. This is kind of insane, the way that they're being left in this room. And I was actually surprised, especially when Serena like got down on her knees, that there wasn't like a slap or something that came from June, just because it is so raw. And she had had these visions of herself being slapped by Serena. All these moments that I really thought, I don't even think, I I don't think it's reasonable. Think about this, Paul. How many times have you heard someone say, if I get my hands on the person who raped my daughter, kidnapped my son, killed my husband, whatever, I will kill them. She is standing face to face with the with the authority and power to be the one in the right. You didn't think it could come to some sort of physical blows? That's reasonable. That's I mean, highly reasonable. I really think it, I thought it could have. So so just the setup, I was already like, whoa, this is so out there. But I, the I, force I, of her words. I agree with you. I agree with you. Elizabeth Moss brought it all. Like, I think she said everything she wanted to say. And you could see that she had to get it all out. You know, we questioned with Rita, would you or wouldn't you go to get closure from the Waterfords? Oh, and we both said, like, I don't know that I would go. I don't know I would ever want them to see my face again or know I'm on the planet. June, I don't think that was ever an option. I think she had to get right in their faces and tell them what's what. What about, I hope you have a miscarriage so that you know a fraction of the pain that we've all felt as a as a sample of God's justice or something uh, to that effect. I didn't think she was going to go there. I thought there would be some sort of like, I can't wait for you to have this baby and for the government to take it from you because you're an unfit mother and and then you'll know what it is to have given birth and carried this feel this life inside you and then have it taken from you. I thought it was going that way. I didn't I didn't realize it was going to go miscarriage. I was a little like, "Oh, okay. All right. Well, I've absolutely 
absolutely saw eye for an eye talk here of like, good that you're pregnant and uh, can't wait for there to be a problem with that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I saw that part coming. Yeah, for sure. So then with this hate vented out of her soul, she comes back home, does something with with Luke. It's like she needed the unburdening to let herself move, I guess, closer to Luke. But the result of it was not something I think Luke would say brought them closer. See, I don't see it like that at all. I see it like we've had this discussion about soldiers at war or like gladiators. Mm. And after you go to battle, you've got this like raging adrenaline and you just want to have sex. Yes. And that's like why, you know, soldiers like do the things they do and stuff to civilians. That's what I saw. And that's why I found it cruel, why I would put it in the assault category, non-consensual sex, because she took, you know, something from him. She, He said, stop. He said, no. She put her hand over his mouth. This is where I'm, you know, I, I paused on the Mrs. Keys thing. I'm pausing again. I'm scared. This is abuser behavior. This is frightening behavior out of her. And I mean, when we talk about the things of, of forgiveness and guilt and, and survivor's guilt and all the different things they're going to deal with, how can Luke trust her, Paul? I do not want to make light of the idea that he's a man and, oh, they had sex. And so, of course, he would enjoy it. He did not enjoy it. And he did not want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't and I don't want to make light of the subject in any way. I, I want it to be understood just the same as if he came in, jumped on top of her. She yelled and said no and said stop. And he put her, his hand over her mouth. We would be like crying that this was a horrible thing to do to somebody. So I know there's a lot of people who don't really understand male rape and like non-consent in that regard. But I think for myself, like you, we really have to look at it like that. I think they did every step you'd have to do, including could he have bucked her off or something? Like, did could she? Yes, I'm not thinking he couldn't, but it really wasn't that. It was, I mean, the way that he just had to like resign to it in that like domestic partner rape kind of way. I mean, it was bad. I, I felt really bad, and I really am fearful for June's character. Like, what are you doing? So, what do we make out of a person who had to endure kind of institutional rape? And then she comes back out and this is what she does to the person who loves her ab above any others. I'm, this is just a possibility. I, I would say that it speaks to the pattern of abuse. You know, those who abuse people were probably abused themselves and it's just a cycle. And that seven years was a longer time than we all kind of absorb. You know, it wasn't a blip on our radar for her and, and it did alter her mind mm. you know and and when push comes to shove some primitive part of her brain is willing to become that part of her but how as luke like how do you pursue a regular relationship like you've just been assaulted by your partner this has really messed everything up in my eyes that'll be interesting to see in the next episode to see if it, this is like something he can chalk up to some unknown you know fallout from her traumatic situation that she went through that is like, well, I'm sure that was a one-time thing, even though it's kind of weird, or if he'll pursue it more. 
I don't mean to pick apart your words, but I, but it, but it's important, I think, and important for like analyzing the, the podcast. Like it's not a little weird. Rape isn't a little weird. He said no to her and she put her hand over his mouth forcefully. He as a person is a pretty gentle person as we've seen, and they have a baby in the house and he's been, you know, raising this baby and everything. There's, I think you, your hackles would be up in such a way of like, what are you capable of? How are you treating people? What are you, how do you think you should respect other people's bodies? Where are your boundaries? Think it's bigger than there was just a weird incident last night kind of thing. Well, I said that purposefully as an end of the spectrum for a way that he could potentially not deal with it. And, and, and maybe that's probably far fetched, but he does have a, a passive side to him, I think. And so who knows? Uh, we haven't seen the next one, so we're not sure where it's going. I think we can agree that it's uh, probably worth them exploring again and not leaving because if it goes unchecked, if, if, if he does leave it, then it is almost like saying, well, that was OK. No big deal. I understand. You had a rough seven years. And and so that shouldn't be left unless – or she becomes very destructive that way. It's another path that I didn't know the story was going to go down. We sort of speak of PTSD in the sense of sort of the person – when I imagine someone having PTSD, I put – the person who is having it in um, almost a helpless situation in my mind. They're struggling, but they're very much not a threat to anybody. They're just dealing with their own anxiety and stress on the inside. But this is like, what if you have PTSD? What if you have this cycle of abuse and you act out in a way on it? You know, this is the soldier punching, you know, his spouse in the night because he doesn't realize it's not the enemy. It's that kind of thing that is like, what do you do if they start acting out on this? And how do you protect yourself and others while still being caring for that person? And I wonder if the show... Is going to go there or if, if they're just going to be have time. I have no idea. I mean, we've got to get through an awful lot. We're going to get into the Waterfords here next because we have to get through so much that I think is coming. I think. Are you ready to go to Waterfords? Yep. We have this scenario that Serena's in the chapel and she's praying and Tuello gives the news and everything to make sure she knows that June has is back on Canadian soil. And Serena already knows. She's like, what ofs? You know, like my lawyer told me, which I'm kind of bummed at. I'm kind of disappointed that they took the moment of the Waterfords being told that June made it out. I would have liked to see their face, you know, like Kevin McAllister, (laughs) kind of anticlimactic. That's when he's like, yeah, I already knew. Like, oh, really? (laughs) So what did you think about the back and forth? We had two different meetings with Serena and Fred. Did it resolve the way you thought? I was trying to puzzle out all of the, just what they were talking about. And I think I came up with what Fred said, that the idea that they have the war crime charges against Fred, but then in addition to that, they have the kind of the pissing match uh, charges that they have against each other that are splitting their attention. Now, with June, someone who lived in their house, I guess Rita has this same sway also, but June was the one getting involved with ceremonies. Like there's only so many hours in a day, right? And so if you got to defend yourself from your wife saying these bad things about you and then your husband saying these bad things about you, there's also these war crimes that you got to defend yourself against that they need to focus their efforts for the sake of just getting out of this thing. And that's what they were trying to do. I appreciated Tuello's thoughts that, you know, he's going to want to fight on multiple fronts. And I think that that's a smart way to put it and something that Serena really understood. Hey, listeners. 
Something funny happened on the way to the participation in this section of the podcast. Apparently, Caroline and I got something way wrong about the conditions Fred and Serena are being kept in Toronto. We went on to say a lot of stuff about how the conditions didn't match anything in reality. And this is a question that a lot of people have had on Facebook about just how is it that they are being kept out of jail cells and that they have a certain amount of freedom and autonomy while they're being kept in custody. So I thought I'd let you know what that's all about. Thanks to Bruce Miller, showrunner and creator, DM'd me actually to straighten me out on what this was all about. I'll quote some of what he told me. They did pretty deep research into under what conditions Fred and Serena would be held in Toronto. They spoke to dozens of people, including prosecutors, officials, and even the head of the International Criminal Court. There is some dramatic license there, but otherwise the conditions do match what they found when they did a certain amount of deep research. It's important to remember that they're not actually criminals yet. They haven't been convicted of anything. They are actually legitimate officials from another country and citizens of another country, and they still retain that innocent until proven otherwise standard that anyone else would. The conditions in which they're being kept do match with what people in that situation of that stature would be kept if they were being kept by the International Criminal Court. Some of that stuff's available via Google if you take the time to look it up. And I encourage you to do so so that you can see where the real world and the world of Gilead cross over and where things that we can experience right now still hold sway into the show's world. Anyway, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. I guess my biggest problems with those scenes are with Tuello trying to figure out he's essentially guiding Serena, giving her advice that amounts to good advice. Like, well, aren't he, you pro-America here? Because no, they no, no, aren't. No. I think, okay, so so the advice that I thought I heard him give was, Serena, get him to to work with you and work with us to get the other Gilead commanders and give us information, become an informant, work with us and use this as saying, look, June can take us down and they will not take us down and won't use June as the witness, provided the two of us become informants and actually work with them and cooperate to get other people, to get the other war criminals. Okay. okay? And so, so he that wasn't, makes a lot more sense. Yeah, he wasn't telling him, go in there and change your story so that you two can band together and fight June. I mean, he wasn't saying that. Because June's ultimate advice to Tuello about Serena was that she'll do anything to get what she wants. What does she want? She wants to raise a baby, her baby, without Fred. And what you're saying is if they flip Fred and get him to give evidence on the other commanders and then they prosecute in some some way, that yeah. I, I mean, all then of, all Fred of still goes sopranos. to jail because he's a war criminal. Yeah. But maybe does less time or maybe is in like, you know, a cushier setting but in or the meantime, maybe she, whatever. She's probably free raising her baby. Probably. Nicole Holly doesn't matter at this point because she's going to have her own baby. She's willing, as she says, at the end, I need you, Fred. What Fred is hearing is 
I need to work with you to get June off our backs. And what she's actually doing is what I just said, finding a way to what you just said. Yeah, because uh, I don't think Serena has enough like sway in the Gilead informant game to be able to get all those other commanders. Whereas Fred can say, oh, yeah, in behind, you know, behind closed door meetings, this guy completely admitted to doing this. And you can find evidence of that here. And, you know, he can actually give the war crime evidence where Serena doesn't know who did what to the who now. She was having tea in the other room. Mm -hmm. So she's just, you know, the carrot. Yeah, basically. And the baby, the family, uh, your family. We've got your family here. Do you want to give information on these strangers and have your family or you want to fight with your wife and also fight June and P.S. We're still going to get information and prosecute you. So, I mean, so they're going to band together as back to the Waterfords, you know, Does that make more sense now. Yeah, <laughs> You're like your mind's like, no, oh. I got it. She's well, we're watching Sopranos concurrently. with yeah, this, so and so She's it- the Adriana. <laughs> she is she is and so then you can see the whole scenario here right Mm -hmm. and so then say fred went back to gilead and said what serena's doing first thing gilead does lop serena's head off take her baby make her handmaid right Mm -hmm. you can see how this can tell that's a soprano storyline right there for you you know it already this is a lot i'm really looking forward to moving forward now because i feel like Man, the the train is on the tracks and we are chugging so freaking fast. It's like there's a handmaid on the track ahead Aww. of us. <laughs> this is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.